So good morning again. How's everyone doing? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, if you could open up them to Psalm 119. Uh, if you need an outline, you could pick that up right outside the center doors there at the ministry counter. And, um, and this week started off really cold, didn't it? Covered off really cold. Remember that? You guys don't remember that, right? It was really cold this week. It's actually cold Friday. I don't know if it got better or worse for you throughout the week. I don't know what happened. Maybe you found yourself this week driving down the road with your child in the car, taking them to the doctor or something like that. Or maybe this week you, you stayed home and, and uh, kind of nervous because you had some medical tests and you're waiting for the doctor to call you about the results of those tests. Or maybe you're going into a meeting this week and you're going in that meeting. You know as you're going in that meeting that the people don't like your ideas and they really don't like you. And that was your, that was your week. That's what you had looking for. Or perhaps you received some bills this week and they're due next month. You would say, I have no idea how many if you're going to pay these bills. Or maybe you're in a place in your relationship where you thought it would be better at this time in your life uh, that pieces would come together and you'd have greater peace and greater joy. But it has not happened in your life and you're wondering why. And so we all have those challenges, don't we? We all have them. We have potholes in our life. There are real potholes. And for in our life, there's also these metaphorical potholes, right? These things that come in our life. We all have them. We all have problems. So the question is that I have for you this morning, you, hopefully you noticed by the songs, is how are we going to solve them? How do we solve the problems that we have in this world that come in our lives? How do we deal with our problems, the challenges of life? Do you call your spouse? Is that what you do? Or you say, boy, I'm going to spend a day at the spa. <laughs> Just got to get away, spend a day at the spa. Do you take out your checkbook or, and you write a check to solve all your problems? Is that how you solve your problems? Do you tell a friend? Or do you go home and put the covers over your head and say, this has got to go away, and I'm just going to wait for this to all go away. It's going to blow over sooner or later. Is that what you do? If you have your Bibles to Psalm 119, we're going to continue on a series in, in God's book. That Psalm 119 recognizes the reality that we all have problems. And every one of us in this room have problems, right? We all have problems. But Psalm 119 also challenges us with how to solve those problems in our lives and how to be ready for them. This psalm was written by a psalmist. We don't know who really it was. The, the psalm titles that you have down there that says uh, a psalm of Asaph or a psalm of David, they're not titles that we would call inspired. There are people, they think, they're just to help us there. Uh, sometimes they're almost like a guest. They don't really know who wrote them, especially in the psalms. They, they know sometimes this one wrote it, but they're not really sure. So don't like that because they said it's a psalm of this one, that that's inspired. The, the psalm is inspired, but not the rest. Psalm 119 is divided up according to the Hebrew alphabet into 22 sections. You've heard me say this each and every week, but I want you to get this down so you know how it's broken up. In each section, beginning with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet is broken up into. So the first eight verses all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Olive, then the second le letter, the eight verses 9 through 16, with Beth, and so forth and so on. So you get through all 22 letters, all 22 sections, Eight verses in each section come to 176 verses, right? And they did that for two reasons. One is to have for memorization, to help memorize. The second reason they did that was to communicate completeness or thoroughness, that this is complete. It's almost as if saying we've got everything from A to Z. What they're saying is in Psalm 119, we have everything we need to know about the Bible from A to Z is what they're saying. So problems come in our life, right? We all agree we have problems, amen? We all have problems. We have problems, don't we? Let's be honest. If you don't have problems, please come and see me. I want to know what you're doing. 
because we all have problems. We all have problems. How do we handle them? I want to share with you this morning the big idea this morning uh, that the pr promises of God are greater than any of our problems. That the promises of God are greater than any of our problems. You, you may say, well, you don't know my problems. You're right, I don't. But I know God's promises. And God promises supersedes our problems all the time, don't they? They do. They're bigger than our problems. So, so we will see that in this passage to see why this morning in this passage. In Psalm 119, you will find a Hebrew word called zokar. And it appears three different times in this passage, and, and it's translated in different ways in different translations. But zokar means to remember or to remind or keep in mind is what it means. And so I want us to understand this morning, most of us in this room, I think, most of us in this room, are prepared for heaven. You're prepared for heaven. I'll, I'll give you that. Most of you, most of you, but many of us in this room are not prepared for earth. Let me explain what I mean by that. Is uh, we, we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. It means we came to the realization that through the work of the Word of God and, and the Holy Spirit in our lives that we were sinners in need of a Savior, right? We came to realization of that. And we, we heard the words from Romans chapter 3, verse 3, 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We said, that's me. We knew that was us. That's me. I'm a sinner. We all understood that. Then we heard the words from Romans 6, 23. says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we understood that the consequence or the wage of my sin is separation from God, that I'm eternally separated from God. We realized that, right? And then we came to understand and heard and realized from Romans 5a that it says, but God demonstrates his love in, uh, to us, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. We were enmity with God, Christ died. So then by God's grace through faith, we believe in, in Jesus Christ uh, was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he was God, and he was our substitute on the cross for our sins. And we came at that moment and believed that by faith. And believing in Jesus Christ alone, the Bible says, if we believe in our heart and confess it with our mouth, the Bible says, you will be saved. So we're ready for heaven, right? We're ready for heaven. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. I mean, we may, may not be as ready as we want to be, but we're, pre we're prepared there to go, right? We're pre prepared to go there. We still have a lifetime of service here on this earth to serve him, but we're secure in heaven through who? Jesus, right? You got that. So through Jesus, we're secure in heaven. And so our destiny... Our address is set. Our final address is set. It's heaven, right? So we're prepared to go there. We're all prepared. But are we prepared for earth? Are we prepared for the trials that are going to come on earth? Many are not prepared. They're not prepared for those things. If you're living in Florida and you hear there's a hurricane coming, and it's saying it's coming, uh, maybe it might be close to your house, and you hear it's coming. But later on, they changed the forecast. And they said, no, it's coming right at you. Matter of fact, the, the, the beam of that's coming where they show that it, you're right in the center of it. So what do you do? Well, you can ignore it, pretend that the hurricane's not going to come. You can do that, right? Or maybe you can hope that the pathway will change in that hurricane. Or you can board up your house like your neighbors have done and get your family ready and get them out of the city. That's preparing for the storm, right? You're preparing for the storm. Many of us are not prepared for the storms that are going to come in this life. And this book, the Bible, is the key in doing that, prepare us for the storm. Let me show you this morning, if you have your outlines with you, three ways to overcome your problems. Three ways. And the first one is this, is reminding God of his promises. Reminding God of his promises. Let me read verse 49 and 50 and see what that means. Verse 50 is a memory verse, right? 
So don't forget to memorize that verse. Verse 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The psalmist is saying, remember your word to your servant, God. Let me ask you a question that should come to your mind. Is God capable of forgiving, of forgetting? Can God forget? He can't forget. But the Bible does tell us that God will forget our sins, right? It says God will forget our sins, but that doesn't mean it's erased from his omniscience. That only means that he'll never bring it up again, that he's not going to hold it against our account. He's not going to bring it up or hold it against our account. God cannot forget. Remember that. He cannot forget. There, 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 there cannot be a piece of information that is existing that is outside the realm of his omniscience, of God knowing all. It can't be. Otherwise, he's not omniscient, therefore he's not God. So God cannot forget. So why then would I need to remind God of his promises? Why would I need to remind him of that? Why is the psalmist reminding him? Let me show you from the scriptures first before we answer that, to tell us that God does know everything. So you know that, that he does know everything. You turn your Bibles to Psalm 147, verse 5. You're in Psalm 119, so turn your Bible to the right. Keep your thumb in Psalm 119. We're going to be back there real quickly. But Psalm 147, okay, verse 5. It's just one verse right there. It says this. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Not only does God know all the facts, he knows the reasons behind them, and he understands how they all fit together. God does. I know some of you just got to that passage. But now go to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 139, 1 through 6. Did a little exercise. We're writing the book of Psalms, so it's not that many pages. Just a couple pages over. It's beautiful and it's powerful what he's saying here. The psalmist is saying in Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6. The first two verses he says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Think about that. Even the inconsequential things God knows all about. He knows when you sit down, He knows when you rise. He knows when you scratch your head. <laughs> do you know that? He knows when you eat. He knows when you don't eat. He knows everything that you do. The Bible says he knows all. You see that? He knows all. It goes on in verse 3 and 4. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Isn't it amazing, verse 4? He says, before I say a word, before it's formed on my lips, you already know what I'm going to say. That's God. That's just not you. That's me. That's everyone in the world. God already knows what you're going to say. He knows all. The Bible says he knows all. It goes on in verse 5 and 6. You hear me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So tell me, if God knows all things... Why do I need to remind him of his promises? It's not for him. It's for me. It's for me, the reason I remind him. When I remind God of his promises, it's a demonstration that, that, that I am standing on those promises. So when I remind God of his promises, I'm standing on those promises. That's just a demonstration. God, I'm standing on this promise that I'm sharing with you. It's like a person who's caught in the midst of, of a storm in their life, and they have nothing, and they have no one to depend on. They said, all I have are the promises of God in my life. And that's what God is saying here, is I'm here, hold on to my promises, hold on to my promises. The psalmist goes on and says in Psalm 119, verse 50, your promises comfort me in my suffering, and your promise preserves my life. 
So that no matter what comes in our life, no matter what it is, we can say God's got this. No matter what, what comes, God can handle it, right? Do you believe that? God can handle it? All I have to do is trust him. I've got to trust God through the storm. Got to trust God. You've got it. You're bigger than this storm. Your promises are bigger than this storm. And I've just got to trust you. He goes on in verse 51 and he says, The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. You're going to hear that perhaps more and more. And since we live in a culture that's constantly shifting and, and stuff, you're going to hear that people are going to say to you about the Bible, Do you believe in the Bible? What are you talking about? Are you that naive that you believe in that book? That it's just written by men and, and it's got so many uh, lies and truths not, that's not right in there. It's got so many errors in it. It's just written by men. And you may be accused of being weak. You may be accused of being ill. You may be accused of being mentally ill. And, and no matter what they say, it cannot drive us from the obedience of this book, from this Bible, right? We've got to keep believing. He says, the arrogant, the prouder, the arrogant, and the disrespectful will try to tear me down and turn me away from God and his word. That's what they're going to try to do. We see it in our culture today. They're trying to get us to turn away from God and his word. Don't believe in that book. But the psalmist says, I will not turn from the promises of God. It's not going to happen in my life. And that's what we got to be. I'm not going to turn from these promises because this is what I can hold on to, right? The promises of God that God gives us in this book. And let me show you very quickly, really, three men from the Old Testament in their time of need reminded God of his promises. And the first one is Jacob. You've heard of Jacob. Remember, Jacob deceived his brother Esau, and he kind of stole his birthright, right? And so Esau was not happy about it. He was upset. So what does Jacob do? He runs. He runs. Sometime later, God tells Jacob, he says, I want you to go back to your home country where Esau lives. And Esau's afraid, and he's fearful, and he writes in Genesis chapter 32, verse 9, it says, Then J Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, I will make you prosper. God had already said that. Jacob's just reminding him that. God, you said if I go back there, you will prosper me. I won't die. That's what he's saying. I will prosper, right? I'm not going to die. Remember your promise you gave me. He's reminding him of his promise. Let's look at Moses in Exodus 33, verse 12. The context there, Moses is coming down from the mountain. At the base of the mountain is the children of Israel. Halfway down the mountain, he runs into, who's there? Joshua's there. And Joshua said, it sounds like war is going down in the camp. Moses knows better, and he says, it's not the sound of war, but it's the sound of a party, what they're having down there. They're celebrating kind of. The people had made idols to worship and direct disobedience to God and his commands. And now God was going to bring judgment upon them. So Exodus 33, Moses was reminding God of his promises. He said, God, you're a loving God. You're a compassionate God. You're a long-suffering God. And then he says this in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Moses reminded God of his promise. You found favor with me. You said, me and these people are going to go into the promised land. You've been saying this. I'm reminding you of your promise. I'm standing on your promise is what he's saying. The next one is Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 25. He says this, Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a man to set before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. So Solomon is reminding God, there again, you made a promise to my father David, 
I'm reminding you of the promise, and I'm standing on it, is what he's saying. So here's, to remind God of his promises is demonstrating our belief in those promises and that we're standing on them. You understand that? So we're to remind God of what he says in Scripture to say, God, I believe what you said, and I'm standing on that promise. I'm standing what you've given me. Is it possible, though, let me ask you this, that many of us want God to keep promises, but those promises are promises that, that God's never made. We're asking God to keep promises. Let me just give you one that uh, you can identify right here. Like uh, right now, God has never promised in January or February in the state of Illinois, we live on the northern side of Illinois, that it will never be cold, that it will never be ice, that it will never be freezing out, and the roads will be bad. God has not promised. He's, he's never promised that it would be warm in Illinois. He hasn't, has he? And, but sometimes we complain like he has. God, you promised me it's supposed to be 70 here. And we should expect that, right, when we complain? God's never promised that. God has never promised that we would never have cancer. God has never promised that we would never have a car accident. God has never promised that we, we wouldn't have marriage difficulties that we'd have to work through. God has never promised there would be no potholes in our lives. There would be no sandstorms or windstorms or, or waves that come crashing over us. God has never promised that. God has never promised that we would live in a country and, and it's a Christian country that's peaceful, that honors God. God has not promised that. We want that, we pray for that, we work for that, but God has not promised that to us. God has not promised that we'd have racial unity in our country. Every one of us wants that, we work for that, we pray for that, but God has not promised those things to us, right? He's not promised that to us, but we act like he has. And so is it possible that we're asking God to fulfill promises in our life that he's never made? Do we want our world to be perfect? We want everything to be just right in the world. And when storms come in our life, we get all upset. And we go to God and say, Guy, why me? Things are supposed to be perfect. Why aren't things perfect? Because we act like God promised us that everything in our life is going to be perfect. But it's not, is it? Because God hasn't promised that to you. He's not promised that we wouldn't have storms. We wouldn't have trials. We wouldn't have difficulties. He's not promised that. Storms come sometimes as a consequence for our actions, right? But sometimes storms come in our life because of life. It just happens. As we go on in life, as you can all testify, you can say, boy, I've had storms in my life. I didn't do anything wrong. It just happened right around the corner. A storm came. And God can use those storms to strengthen us. But we have to be ready for them. And the psalmist is saying, this, this is how you get ready. This is how you get ready for them. Let me tell you just a couple of things what God has promised us so we can understand. God has promised those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior that he will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? God has promised that. He's promised that to you. God has promised for those who know him, who have faith in Jesus. He says, one day I'm building a home in heaven for you, and one day you're going to be there in heaven with me in that home forever and ever and ever. God has promised that, right? God has promised those as followers of Jesus Christ who know him, who commit sins, no matter how many times, no matter what they've done, God has promised that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. God has promised that, right? He's promised that to every one of us. God has promised that when he forgives those sins, he says, I'm going to cast them as far as the east is from the west, toss them into the deepest ocean, never bring it up to you again, not hold to your account. God has promised those things and so many more in Scripture. So we have to cling to what God has promised. But for some reason, we want to go out there and take what the culture is saying and say, well, God's promised this and that. He hasn't. These are the promises of God. Here in this book, that's why we have to get in here. 
these golden nuggets of truth, these precepts, God gives us promises out of there. And we don't know the promises unless we get into this book. We can't say God has promised something if it's not here. This is what he's promised. This is what we have to stand in. Amen? But let's get into the book to prepare for the storms that are going to come into our lives. And this is how we prepare for them, by getting into this book. So the first way to overcome your problems, remind God of his promises. Why? Because it, it demonstrates that I'm standing on God's promises. I'm standing on your promises. I believe in your promises, and I'm standing on them. The second way to overcome your problems, remind yourself of God's precepts. It says here in verse 52, I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort there, in them. Some, some say uh, your ancient rules. Some say rules, Lord. I remember your rules. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever been, been comforted by laws or rules? The next time you're going through a, a tragedy in your life, uh, why don't you get in the book of Leviticus, right? Is it, and find comfort in the book of Leviticus. So what does he mean here? What does he mean when he says, I remember your ancient laws and I find comfort? Laws in some of the translations use the word rules. You'll find there in your translation. And the word laws or rules is one of the many synonyms that we find in Psalm 119 referring to God's word is what it is. What I would encourage you to do, do a study on your own. Here's, a, here's an assignment for you on your own to do. To read Psalm 119, it's just 176 verses, Psalm 119. And as you go through that, circle all those words that describe the Bible. All the words that describe the Bible, it precepts, commandments, laws, uh, statues, all those kind of things. Circle those and see how many you have. Circle all those. And then read it the second time, and as you're going through the psalm, and underline all the things that the Bible said he's going to do for you. You're going to find a long list. And maybe use a different color for that. Read it the third time, and as you're going through the Bible, maybe all the things that you're supposed to do with God's Word. To read it, to meditate, meditate on it, to keep it, to obey it, all those things, you're going to find a long list too. Do that on your own. You're going to find a tremendous study there of what Psalm 19. It's so much in this psalm, so much, and we don't have time to get into all of it. So what are you seeing here? When I'm reminded of your precepts, when I'm reminded of your God's Word, it brings me comfort. I find delight in that. That means that this Bible is just not another book that's someplace in our home. That this is God's book. God wrote this book, amen? And this book needs to be placed in our minds, in our hearts. And it does no good to have this book in our home to have it on our coffee table or our kitchen table, up on a shelf, on our nightstand, if that's all it is. This book needs to get in our mind, in our heart. And so to do that, we have to read it. We have to internalize it, right? We have to meditate on it. We have to be obedient to it, is what the Bible says. We have to do that in order for that to happen. And that's how we are able to remind ourselves of the precepts of God that he's talking about here. It's because we believe in it so much that we placed it in our hearts. God, I really believe that. And it shows it, that I believe in this word so much that I must not leave it on that coffee table, but I place it in my heart. And that's what the psalmist is getting across. I need to place this in my heart. William Wilberforce was well known for his work abolishing slavery in London. And one of his entries into his diary in 1819, he says, when I walked from the corner, he said, I recited Psalm 119. Imagine that. And he says that it gave me great comfort when I recited that song. It's fascinating to know throughout modern history, through the last few hundred years, of how many people memorized portions of the Bible, and it brought them comfort, brought them stability, brought them peace in the midst of a storm. But Wilbur Wilberforce was one of them. 
who in the middle of battle trying to abolish slavery was attacked from many different sides. And he says, what brought me comfort? Was the Bible, was Psalm 119. It's what brought me comfort. And so the psalmist, he goes on in the next verse and he says this. Indignation grits me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. VSV, English Standard Version, says hot indignation. Well, I, I didn't know that was allowed. I didn't know that was okay for us to have that. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been indignant? What causes that? Here, what causes it? It says, when I see the wicked who forsake your law. So we ought to have the same emotional response that God has when he sees the wicked things happening. But somehow, we have to hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? Hate the sin, but love the sinner. How do we do that? How do we do that? It's easy to say that. I'm going to hate the sin, but love the sinner. It's easy to say that. For us, it's pretty hard for us to do that, to separate the two. But let's first talk about hate the sin. Um, does it bother you that when you turn on the news or hear it on the news that somebody's being abused by somebody else? Or you read that a young child was shot by uh, drive-by. And you read that and you think about that young life that never had a chance. When I hear those things, it really bothers me. And, and it means that we, we see the ways of the wicked. We should have indignation, anger, and not laughter. We shouldn't be laughing about those things. It should upset us when we see those things. How do you deal with that hot indignation because you see the ways of the wicked and still love the person? How do you do that? You have to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Remember Jesus the night before he was crucified, and he was being arrested by the people who were made in his image. Remember that. They were made in his image, and they arrested him. And they beat him. And, and they put him through those mock trials that were a joke, those trials, and they beat him. And they beat him in all different ways. They beat him up. I mean, terrible. His face was disfigured. Then they marry, made him carry his cross as long as he could carry it. Now, Jesus had the power to call down angels to wipe those people out, didn't he? And he could have freed himself. He had the power to do that. If it was me, and maybe it was you, but I know if it was me, I probably would have done it. Take these people out. I've had it. I've had it. But Jesus didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? He had to have indignation. He had to have anger because toward the sin and the wickedness that was going on there, he had to be upset, not like that stuff. And yet his whole purpose of him going to the cross was because of these people who he loved was doing this to him. And he was dying for their sins, wasn't he? He was dying for their sins. The apostle Paul writes, to the Corinthian church, he lists sins that they should be against. And he says this to them in chapter 6, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. That some of you were doing those sins that he said you should be against. And if there's some way we can view that, where we can understand, where we come to this understanding and say that these people who are doing these wicked things that make you and I so angry that we come to understand they don't know Jesus yet. That their lives have not been transformed by Jesus. And some of us were just like them. Some of us were maybe doing the same things that they're doing out there in the world, maybe in worse things. Or maybe you're on the other side of this. Just, Man, I am so proud that I am not doing those things that those people did. And you have another problem. It's called self-righteousness. Sometimes we're on the other side. And man, I'm so much better than them because I don't do those things. But then that's self-righteousness. And so we're, we're supposed to separate the sin from the sinner is what the Bible says. To separate it. We're still to love them, as Jesus did. 
but I hate their sin. I hate their sin. It's difficult. The psalmist goes on to say, your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. The word song can be translated protection. So your decrees have been my protection. It could go either way. Protection or, or song. Now, the decrees of the Lord are our protection through times of attack, through times of trials, through, through the storms in my life. But those decrees are also our songs. And I, and I like that. They're our songs. We hear all the different noises coming in the world. Say, What's that noise? What's that sound? It's the music, sound of music. It's the sound of God's word running through the pages that we're reading. That's our song. I mean, we sang about some of it this morning as we're singing worship, but that's our song. See, the, the words of the Lord remains. It doesn't change. It's the same yesterday. It's the same today. It'll be the same tomorrow. It does not change. It's the most relevant book ever been written, right? And, and for every culture, it's in the midst of a of changing culture, constantly shifting. This is our song that we sing through that time. Through today's, we get into the Word of God. This is our song. This is what we sing. Through the pages of this book, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. God is speaking to us. This is a song of our heart that we should be speaking and singing and loving it. This, this book, is what he's saying. The third way to overcome your problems is rest in God's presence. Rest in God's presence. Let's read verse 55 and 56. He says, in the night the, I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. The situation he's talking about here is, is at night. The day's work is over, and now the psalmist, the person, is lying there in bed. And just like you, you might be lying in bed, and all your devices, all your gadgets are getting charged up for the next day, and you're lying there in bed, and you're thinking about the day's events, or, or maybe you're thinking about tomorrow's events. And what is he saying here? He's saying you can rest in the name or you can rest in the presence of God. We can rest in him. God said to Moses in the midst of all that chaos in Exodus chapter 32 and 33, he says, Moses, my presence will go with you. So as you're lying in bed at night and you're thinking about the events of that day or the events of tomorrow, we can rest in the promises of God. Amen? We can rest in his promises. Knowing that whatever happens, Whatever happens in our life, God's got it. God can handle it. Do you believe that? God can handle it no matter what happens in our life. So we can think about those events of that day, think about the events tomorrow. God, you've got it. So I can go to sleep. And I don't have to worry about those things because God's got it. He's got my back. The scripture goes on to say in the New Testament, and I love this, in John 1, 14, uh, the gospel writer writes, he says, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is one of the greatest concepts we find in Scripture, the incarnation of the God-man, Jesus, that the God-man came to live among us so we could watch him, so we could see him, so we could touch him through the gospel writers. The only way we can see Jesus, touch Jesus, know about Jesus, hear about Jesus, walk with Jesus, is through the written word of God. Otherwise, we don't know him just by out there in the world. And the written word of God gives us all that we need. All that God wants us to know about him and know about his son and what he did for us. Tells us how to live. And if we're not in this book, we're never going to know. We're never going to know what the written word has to say. And the scriptures, the, 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 the gospel writers gave us the gospels so we'd understand who Jesus is. And what he did for us. We wouldn't know that otherwise. Take out the gospels, we wouldn't know that, would we? We know it because of the gospels they gave us that. The Bible goes on to say, Jesus said, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to send another one, the comforter, that comes in the same manner, the same kind is what it means. And who is it? The Holy Spirit. 
coming in the same manner, the same kind. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the Holy Spirit indwells you, that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And He's in you. The moment you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit now lives with inside of you. So you're there, and you're lying in bed at night. But you're not alone, right? Why not? Because the Holy Spirit is there. You take a walk out in the woods, and you think you're all by yourself, but you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is there, is what the Bible is telling us. So you can trust in the promises of God, and you can also rest in the presence of God. So no matter where I go, knowing He's there. So my question that I start off with you, that I start off with you, are you prepared for heaven? Are you? Uh, I think most of you at least you say, I'm not prepared to go to heaven, that I've come to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen? Have you accepted Him as your Savior? If you have not accepted Him as your Savior, uh, give your heart and life to Jesus by coming and saying, admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible says that when you do that, when you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, that you will be saved. And I encourage you to do that. So are you ready for heaven? If you're not, put your faith and trust in Jesus, right? So my next question, are you ready for earth? Are you ready to live what God has for us here? I don't mean to discourage you, but there's a storm coming your way. It is for every one of us. We just don't know when it's going to come, right? Every one of us has a storm that's coming our way. It's brewing. It's far out there in the distance. You may be right in the midst of a storm right now, but it's coming our way. We're going to do everything we can possibly do, right? We're going to go get the cancer screenings. We're going to go get the medical checkups. We're going to go get our car tuned up and all those kind of things and doing all this. But you can't escape all the storms that's going to come in life. But you can be ready. And that's what the Bible said. You can be ready for them. And getting ready is by getting into this book. If we're not getting into this book, we're not ready for the storms. Getting ready for the storms of life is getting into this book. That's what the psalmist is trying to get across. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 at the closing of the Sermon on the Mount. He's closing that sermon, and he says this, if I could paraphrase it. He says to the people, he says, you have a choice now. What are you going to do? And he says, you, you will be like one who hears my word, but you don't put it into practice. You don't do anything about it. You're like a person who builds their house on top of the sand. You just go out there and start building on sand, right? He says, or are you going to be the person who hears my word and puts it into practice, but you go out there by the sand and you dig down in the sand, and he says, and you dig down till you get the rock, and you build your house on top of the rock, right? On top of a strong foundation, a rock-solid foundation. When you get back and you look at both of those houses, they look the same. There's no difference. One, one built on the sand and the one built on the rock. The, everything up above them, they look the same until the storms come. And when the storms come, they've come off the Mediterranean with the wind coming and the rain coming down in the hill country. It washed down, and soon it would come down in the valley and it would be like rivers flowing down there. And they'd come, and when they batter against that, those houses, when the storm was over, the house that was built on the rock stood. But the one that was built on the sand that didn't do anything with God's word, it was scattered throughout the valley. And that's what he's saying. Prepare for the storm. It has everything to do with what you're going to do with this book. Because this is God's instruction to us. Everything what you do with this book is preparing for the storm. And so three ways I gave you is one is remind God of his promises. It means, God, I believe in your promise, and I'm standing on your promise. That's what that means. Second, remind ourselves of these precepts. The Word of God is what's going to direct and guide us in our lives, right? We're going to be guided by His Word. Third, rest in His presence, knowing God is always there. We don't have to go anywhere. God is right there with you. Include Him in your daily events and what's going on in your life. Don't forget Him. 
ask for his help and his guidance and he'll give it to you because he's always there. So you have your assignment this week. You know what they are? Get ready for heaven. How do you get ready for heaven? Put your faith and trust in Jesus, right? Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Get ready for earth. How do we get ready for earth? By getting into this book and allow this book to get into us. Get into this book so it can get into you, into your heart. That's what we need to do. Amen? So you have your assignments. Let, let's pray. Lord, we come, we praise you because you're so good. You're so wonderful. You're amazing, God. You love us. I mean, you really do love us. When you read Psalm 119, you realize, Lord, it, it, I can understand what the psalmist says. This is complete. Everything you need to know about the Bible because it has so much that it recognizes we have storms. But, Lord, it doesn't leave us there. You guide us and lead us to how to be ready for the storms. Not to take the storms away. They're going to come. But, Lord, what we need to be ready for them. And it helps us to be ready by standing on the promises of God. And, Lord, only way we're going to know your promises by getting to this book and understanding your precepts and understanding the promises that the Bible gives us. Not what the world is saying. Not what we think the promises are. But cling to the promises of your book, the Bible, the written word. It's all through there. So, Lord, I pray, help us, Lord, through this series as we're going through it. Dear Lord, we desperately need you in our life. And the way we get you in our life, Lord, is by, of course, trusting Christ as our Savior, but by getting into this book, the Bible, so it can get into us. It doesn't happen any other way. It doesn't happen any other way that. So, Lord, we surrender our hearts and minds to you, Lord. Uh, we, I pray for those who might be in the midst of a storm this morning. Might be a major storm. It's raging all around them. They don't know what to do. Lord, they would draw near to you and fall on their knees and get into the word of God and you direct them to your promises. And that they have you and your promises to stand on. That's all we need in the storms. Lord, and, and it's great to have other people around us through the storms. But God, when we have you, when we have you and your word in the storms, Lord, that's really all we need. That's what the psalmist is saying. So, Lord, I, I thank you so much for the truth. I thank you so much, Lord, that you let us see our, our feebleness, our weakness that we really have, that through the storms of life, Lord, we're being washed all over the place. We can't stand on our own, that we desperately need you and your word to guide us and to help us and give us hope for tomorrow. And, Lord, you're your faithful God. You've given us that. You've given us the promises of tomorrow. You've given us the Bible, what's going to happen through, through the end. We know what's going to happen in this earth. We know that one day, those who know Jesus Christ, your Savior, that we will be with you. You've given us your word. You've given us that hope. You've given us that promise that you're building a, a, a home in heaven for all of us who know Jesus Christ, your Savior. We're going to be with you. And so, Lord, we praise you for that day. And, Lord, I pray for everyone here is prepared to go to heaven, ready to go to heaven, because they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And they're trusted in Jesus, not in themselves, but in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross. And Lord, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I pray for all of us that we're ready to live this life you've called us to live on this earth. That we're prepared. We're ready for the storms that are going to come, because they're going to come. They're going to come through either persecution or through just living life, Lord. We just have health issues, car issues. Lord, we have sometimes things break down in our homes, issues. And Lord, they come, and we have to be able to have some hope besides that mechanical thing or whatever we have, and our hope and our promise is you and your written word. And I pray that each one of us would get into the word so it can get into us, and we have that. So no storms come. We're not like shifting sand, but Lord, we're on a solid rock, that firm foundation of 
Jesus and the written word and his promises. So I pray that for all of us. Dear Lord, to realize that we're just vessels. We're just vessels broken, plated, and being used by you. But we need you. We desperately need you. So I pray for each one of us. Draw close to you. And ask all these things in that wonderful, amazing name, the name of Jesus. Amen.